Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, The phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Introducing Shlomo Jesmer, your relationship coach. He says a happy relationship starts with a happy you. Ain't that the truth? He helps couples thrive in their relationship through open, loving, and effective communication. Shlomo, welcome. So uh, tell me how you got into relationship counseling. Okay. Wow. Straight to the point. (laughs) I'm curious as like how old you are, kind of like what's your religious background, all of that stuff. I'm 31. I've been married for eight years now father of two. I'll start with how I got into coaching. I left school at eighth grade. And by eighth grade, I was in five different schools. So five different schools up until eighth grade wasn't really there when I was there. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I want to know more about that. What was going on there? It's funny that you asked that because today I thought of, is it ADD? Is it not? Because I got tested as a child and it wasn't. So I was, I think it's just, I was uninspired. Like I was thinking of putting out a quote, like it's not ADD, you're uninspired or ADHD, you're uninspired. I but like yeah, up that. Until... And I also want to know, like, how did the schools respond to you? Okay. So, I mean, which ones? <laughs> I was at five different schools, right? So your parents probably sent you to like the one where they wanted you to fit in first, right? Um, so, so it's a little, it's a little more complicated than that. My parents, okay, okay we live in Israel. Okay. We did Aliyah when I was one. It was a tough decision for me, but I got through it. I'm one of six. I'm the youngest. And my parents were born not religious. They lived most of their lives not religious. Well, for my mother, it would be half her life not religious until they started their journey back to Judaism with three kids who were already born. And then we came, they came to Israel when I was one, as I said, and they've been religious for about four years. We came to Moshav. It's called Moshav Matityahu, by the way. Moshav Where Matityahu. is that? Smack in the middle of Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. So 20 minute drive from cool. It's an American community. There really wasn't anything here. There, was, there wasn't anything going on here. The cities that surround us now, they just weren't here. So they sent me to the schools that everyone sent their kids to. Okay, so then I ended up going to school first, second, third grade in a school where everyone goes to. At one point, I ended up leaving there. I wasn't doing well. I, I hated school. I, I always hated school. And, and I was actually one of those kids who, who was like, oh, you're going to be so good at math. You know, like you're always doing one plus well, like you're, you're always doing like these different math problems everyone's like oh you're going to be a math prodigy and all that and I'm like you know I'm excited about that it's very cool but when it comes to school like I'm just not enjoying it. I just can't focus I just can't do any of that third grade I, my brother was in another school so I ended up going to that school that school didn't have a fourth grade so I did I went to fifth grade instead of fourth grade fifth grade second year round the school shut down so from there I was out of school until sixth grade where I went to another school. Now, at this point, I'm already starting to be a little bit less connected to my Judaism, okay? And I'm sixth grade, 12 years old. The hormones are coming in. I want to experience life, whatever it is. Like all this time, I'm showing up, I'm not showing up. And I think I think that it had a lot to do with a, lot, a lack of direction, a lack of... So an important point here is my father was 59 when I was born, okay? So that would make him 70-ish when I'm in 12th grade. So I didn't have that one-on-one, you should dream big, you should think ahead, the motivation of why to go to school in the first place, why to learn, why to study, why to any of that. In the middle of sixth grade, this place is too religious for me. 
I tell them I want to go to a place that's a little bit more modern. So they send me. It goes like this. First grade to sixth grade, that school is finished. And then you go to another school, seventh grade to like 12th grade or something like that. So that's what I did. And in the middle of eighth grade, I just dropped out. It was like, I just stopped going. I was at that point where I was like, I did whatever I wanted. I was one of those teenagers. I was one of those teenagers from 13 to 19 almost. I was just, I was working, drinking, partying, you know, going back and forth to the States, working different jobs, working in Israel. You could work as a, at a bar also when you're underage. What did your parents <laughs> think? What did they do? They must have okay. been no, upset. No, no. So, so I'm sure it hurt them to see their child like this. But they were not, they did not express anger to me. Okay, your parents are amazing. Yeah, they are. Well, my father actually passed away 10 years ago, but he is oh amazing. Oh my gosh, I'm Thank sorry. You. Whoa. And my mother, she's living be well, she is, she is amazing. She would come to town, right? This is in town, in Jerusalem town. She would come to town and hang out with me. And mind you, she's religious. I'm bringing over friends that aren't religious and open home, completely open home. So that, that wasn't an issue, which was a beautiful thing. My relationship with my parents never ended up, you know, becoming a fight, right? It wasn't, we weren't clashing with one another. So that was something I had a place to come back to. I am 18. I go to the States to work over there for half a year. And then I come back because I have a, I have to go to the army, right? I'm an Israeli civilian. I have to go to the army. I don't want to mess up with that. I did not want to go to the army. I didn't grow up thinking that I need to go to the army, you know, like Zionism and all that. It's just not me. But I didn't want to do anything, right? I didn't want to accept any responsibility. Like army? Like absolutely not. Like I'm okay, I'll work a job, you know. But like the longest, I think the longest commitment at that point was me going to work for half a year in the States in this one job. That was like a really big commitment for me. And then like to go from that to the army was like crazy. What did you do? I was one of those people who sold hair straighteners in the malls. Oh, I know them. <laughs> <laughs> So we actually started off doing it. We, we did it in PXs and BXs, like on army bases and air force bases. We traveled like the entire States. It was fun. It was a lot of adventure. So I ended up, I come back to Israel. Eventually I get drafted to the army. Now I, I didn't want to go to the army. So I did everything that I could to get out. Like I told them like, I can't handle stress. I can't handle being around guns. I can't handle any of that. Like I'll get panic attacks and stuff like that. And I had what to draw off of because when I was 16 or 15, I had panic attacks from smoking weed. Anyways, they ended up giving me like this profile where I can't be combat. I can't be any, I can't be on a base for too long. Like basically they had me scrubbing toilets in the morning until 1 PM. And then I was off. I had this ego, right? And I did not want to tell people that that's what I'm doing. <laughs> this is at a stage in my life where I'm literally living for other people's validation. And I'm not aware of that, but that's what I'm doing. I decided to do everything that I can to get into combat just so that I could come home with a gun, right? Just so that I could be cool. It took me eight months, took me eight months to convince them that I'm actually sane. And then I, I got into combat. And when I got into combat, that's when I started becoming religious again. I quit smoking. I used to smoke two packs a day for six years from age 13 to 19. I quit that. It was basically the first time I had to be there for weeks in a row and I couldn't go hang out with my friends. Right? And I couldn't go hang out with girls. I couldn't go get drunk. I couldn't go party. So it was the first time that I had to like, I, I just got bored. I started picking up books. I started picking up things that got me thinking. I was taught the idea that I could actually talk to God and he'll listen in my own words. Like that was fascinating for me. So I took advantage of that. And it just, I became, I became religious. I basically, I, I went like really cold turkey. I cut off 
all my connections with all my old friends. Very unhealthy move. But that's what I did. I did that. And okay, I got through the army. I got to be combat, which by the way, by the time I was combat already, I didn't go hang out and show off my gun to people because I became religious and I stopped hanging out with, with them, right? It wasn't like I wasn't going to show off. I was already like more like working on myself and becoming a better person or whatever, right? Working on myself. I finished the army after two years. A few months later, my father passes away. So I went to yeshiva, right? Right after the army. And I already had like my mind, I need to get married. In order to get married, I need to learn in yeshiva morning, afternoon, evening. It, it's ridiculous what goes on in your head when you don't have guidance. I was literally like a, like a child, like discovering responsibility, discovering thinking forward, all of that. I ended up going into like this really dark time in my life. Really, really dark. Anxiety, depression. It really started from the anxiety. I'll tell you like my entire life, I think I wasn't happy. I don't think I was ever really happy and that I ever really knew or felt like I found a place where this is, okay, this is it. This is what I need to be doing, right? This is, this is where I belong. This is where, this is where I shine. I remember when my anxiety hit me the first time, I walked into the elevator. It was while I was in my shiva and I started noticing that I have a shortage of breath. And I didn't know what anxiety was back then. Like I knew I experienced panic attacks, but I didn't know what anxiety was. I remember at this time I was living at my brother's house. I ended up going to him and I took his wife, I took her asthma inhaler. I was like, maybe I'm developing asthma. Like, why do I feel shortage of breath? It just didn't make sense to me. I took it, nothing worked. And I went into this reality where I was 24 seven, not able to breathe comfortably. I, I did all the medical checkup, right? Is my heart, my lungs, everything, right? We did all that. Everything came out fine. I couldn't learn. I want to get married. And if I want to get married, I need to learn. My whole future just became like, you're never going to, you're never going to get married. Like you're never going to feel good again. Like that was the feeling, right? I wanted to get married because I didn't want to be alone. I was extremely lonely. I always wanted to have a companion. Always. I was always chasing that, right? I never wanted to commit, which is why they always ended up like breaking up, right? I never wanted any of that, but I always wanted the company. As an adult, I'm very family oriented. It's something that I value. I value marriage. I value the long-term relationships. I, I value that. But as a religious person, I knew I'm not going to be connecting with a female unless I'm going against my religious values or I get married. But what's crazy is, is that I thought that I have to sit down and learn all day long in order to meet someone who is worthy. Like, I, I, I didn't know anything else. I felt like this is the only option that I have. I was too embarrassed or ashamed to think about working or going to do something else aside from that. I couldn't do what I thought I need to do because I was afraid to do that. Go work, go get a regular job, go breathe, connect with friends, go have a social life, right? I was always sad. So, okay, fast forward. I did end up getting married, right? <laughs> Actually to my neighbor who I did not know. I didn't know her. The only time I think like I saw her was when I was still in the army and she rode by me on a bike and I glanced at her and I thought to myself, I could marry that kind of person. Like her energy, like the, the freeness, the, I don't know what it was. And that's it. <laughs> doesn't seem like you had a very long laundry list of expectations. You're like, she's free. She's pretty. She's riding a bike. <laughs> so when I was in the army, yes, I really didn't think about 100%. It was like energy. That's it. Obviously when I went out, I was like, okay, do our values align? Do we have the same dreams for the future? Do we have all of that? Right. For sure. Which it did. Actually, the first date was really, really good. 
it was so good that I forgot to buy her a drink and she didn't even notice. <laughs> so we were both like completely there, not thinking about anything else. Yeah, the second date, she didn't have such a good time. Third date, I was like, mm, maybe I'm going to call it off. Fourth date, I was sold. Fifth date, and then sixth date, we closed it. Into my marriage, you know, obviously we had our, our difficulties. The first year of marriage, I think there's a lot of getting to know you, getting to oh know marriage, <laughs> right? Yes. I mean, there was a lot. Talk about what that looks like. Okay, so you go into marriage, you think you know someone. Well, actually, you think you know yourself. And then you discover how, what, what are you, what did you just get into? Like, this is, first of all, it's freaky. This is the rest of your life, right? Like, it's a commitment, right? You don't get married to quit, right? Marriage is like a really long-term commitment. You could definitely have the doubts. Like, did I do the right thing? And you don't want to share that. If you don't have a person to talk to, if you don't have a person that's guiding you, if you don't have a person to support you, you could really like get lost in your head. How do I deal with this? Am I doing the right thing? And why is she getting upset over these little things? And why am I, right? And she expects X, Y, and Z from me. And how can I do it? On top of that, I have my anxiety. I have my shortage of breath which I haven't told her about yet. That's right, so you were kind of right? talking gonna... about the shortage of breath thing being like a month before your dad. How did you work some of that out? And why do you feel like that was connected? Well, first of all, I still have my shortage of breath, but it's not, it doesn't threaten me anymore. It's just a part of my life. I know there's something more to me. I feel different from other people. I felt different as a child. Obviously, I felt different as a child. If I'm not doing well in school, you'll feel different. And if you aren't as religious as the kids growing up to you, then next to you, then you'll feel different. And But that also makes you wonder, like, what's different about me? At that point, I didn't know I want to be a coach, but I did know I want to be a public speaker of some sort. And I thought at that time that I can never do that if I'm experiencing this because I'm broken. Right. And, and no one wants to learn from someone who's broken. When did it first start, though? Because you didn't always have it. It started in the elevator about a month before my father passed away, about a month, two months after I got out of the army. When life hit, when all of a sudden I had to be an adult, be an adult for the first time. I wasn't being told what to do by the army. I wasn't, you know, like I had to start showing up for my schedule. Right. I had to start thinking about my future. So it might have to do with that. And then I took upon myself way too much, like a lot more than I can handle. But I think it was also like this drive. I think it's anxiety and depression together. Like, I think that that's what it was that triggered it. It's interesting because now I have it and I'm a happy person now, right? I feel fulfilled. Obviously, like there's many things that I still aspire to. I still want to accomplish a lot more than I am right now. And who knows, maybe that's why it's still there, right? But if you would talk about like where I was then and where I am now, like I, I, I don't recognize myself because it was such a dark place. Like I, like I wanted to die. Yeah. Like what was your thoughts around that? Like with what you thought would happen? If I would kill myself? Yeah. I thought I would go to hell. You would honestly believe that? Yeah, that's what I thought. Taking a life is very serious, even if it's yours. Have you helped people that felt like you felt? I never had to help someone who wanted to commit suicide. That never came to my doorstep. I have dealt with people who were depressed, but not at that level. I think, listen, any person who's going through depression, what they need more than anything is for someone to believe in them and to give them hope. Not, I agree. They don't yeah. need pressure. They don't need pressure. They don't need to be told what to do. They don't need, they just need to believe that there's something for them to live, that they have hope because that's what depression is. Depression is, I have no hope. I have no reason 
to feel good. I have no reason to get up out of bed and do something. It's a state of curling up into yourself and feeling um, I just don't have anything to live for. That's what depression is. Who gave you hope? A lot of people. My brother gave me hope, my older brother. I've seen therapists. They gave me hope. So you obviously believe in therapy. Yeah, not all therapy. I think, I think it matters who you go to. Have you had a bad therapy <laughs> I experience it, I, where it wasn't the right fit? I've had, I mean, I haven't had a therapy experience where I was like, this made it worse. I haven't had that. But I've had therapy sessions where it didn't get better. And I was like, I think it's, it's really important, no matter what, to explain the process to the person who you're speaking to and to, to show them deeply that you really understand what they're going through. I have a couple more questions. One, you said you cold turkeyed two packs of cigarettes a day after six years. How did you do that? I mean, how did I do that? Technically, I just took out the pack. I was like, this is my last cigarette. I smoked it. And then I broke my pack in half. That's what I did. And I also knew it's not healthy. Like there's all the reasons to quit. What helped me continue to quit? I think I'm a little bit stubborn. So another question I had too was you said you cold turkeyed your friends that you were getting into trouble with. Yeah. Did you ever miss them? What did that look like? Of course I missed them. I missed the partying also. I missed feeling good. Like I did this wrong. If you're going to become religious, right? If, if you're planning on making a change in your life or whatever, whatever it may be, get guidance. <laughs> Don't just do that cold turkey because it's, it's not healthy. It builds a lot of resentment. It builds a lot of doubt. There's a healthy process to grow into things. And you have to first go step one, step two, step three, step four. You can't jump to the highest step. You'll fall. Or you'll be holding on for your dear life and you'll feel confused. How long can I hold on this way, right? How long can I actually do it? And that, that was my experience. I ended up going to study psychotherapy, marriage counseling, parenting. I ended up also becoming, you know, pre-marriage guidance, counseling, however you want to, coaching, whatever you want to call it. You know, for people who don't know what that is, pre-marriage guidance. So I ended up studying that as well. And obviously, if you're learning these things and you're going into it with your own marriage in mind, then it makes a difference. Like you really learn how to how to create a really awesome relationship. And going into my marriage, when my marriage is is in flow, everything else is like, okay. But if your marriage is like, then you feel down about yourself. Everything just starts, like everything goes down with it. But that's just like more on a psychological, technical level. But I believe also spiritually that there's a tremendous amount of blessing that comes to you when you have that harmony. How do you get that that marriage flow? It is about having that mindset of this is important to me. I'm going to make this work. It's so important to have that because otherwise it's like if other things take priority, then they will take priority. You will feel it. Your partner will feel it. So you really have to prioritize it. Now, prioritizing it, people can get triggered by that, by thinking, well, I'm going to prioritize my marriage over myself. I'm going to prioritize my marriage over my children. I'm going to prioritize my marriage over all these other discussions, which are important to have, but it's not like that. If you want to have a healthy marriage, you have to take time for yourself. You have to work on yourself. There's a lot of self-work in a marriage, but there's a lot of learning how to communicate with each other, right? Understanding each other's needs. There's the basics, you know, like you'll read about it, what a woman wants, what a man wants. And then there's what your woman wants and what your man wants and have a conversation about that, right? (laughs) Have more than one conversation about that. Did you take Khatan classes? Like, did you yourself take them? Because I think there's a big probably span of what that covers. Like some are like, you know, this goes in this and you're married. Like, wouldn't you say that some couples go into marriage with really not knowing much? Yes. 
Yes, yes, for sure. Can you talk and about that? You need to find someone who knows what they're talking about and who won't be stingy on information. Okay? You, you want to go in knowing everything, everything. What to expect in a marriage, how important the sex life is, right? And how, to, how important it is that everyone are happy and satisfied in that area. And it's, it's, it's a conversation in the religious community. It's a conversation that some people aren't comfortable having. And people suffer from that afterwards. So it's really important to have that, those conversations. It's important that you actually learn how to perform. Because especially as a religious person going into this, you may not have any experience. You may not know anything about it. And you're going into this whole world where a man can physically be attracted to a woman and be satisfied within minutes, right, with a complete stranger. And while there are women like that too, most women, they will also tell you that if there isn't a, a connection, an emotional connection, that they feel that that's missing. And how are you supposed to know that if no one teaches you that? And how do you figure that out? Exactly. You don't. And, and, and she's upset at you. And she doesn't want to be intimate with you. And it shows up on a physiological level where she's not able to perform. And you're offended. And it causes a lot of what's going on here. For you, foreplay starts by looking at her. And for her, it starts... A week ago, how you said hello to her in the morning. Are you nice to her? <laughs> Do you show her that you are interested in her as a human being aside for her, right, for her physicality? Like, do you have a connection? It's so important to have the actual conversation with your partner just to get to know them, what they want and who they are. And this is where you really want to find someone who will teach you everything, who will tell you everything and who won't hold back information from you. Do you feel like you got that with your teachings? I got it from a bunch of different. So I, I, I went in and plus I, I had my experience with women as a non-religious person. So I, I wasn't going into this whole new world. People who have experience before marriage, the world is up for grabs, right? They could, they could have all the fun they want. And now they're getting married and committing to this one person. This one person is taking away from them all those other options. Whereas if a person doesn't experience any of that before because they're religious and they don't want to, right? And now, not that they don't physically have the drive, but they don't want to because of their religious beliefs. And now they're marrying this one person. This one person is opening that door, right? For that experience, as opposed to closing the door on them. In addition to that, you're having, for women on, on a whole nother level, emotionally, but also for a man, you have this moment where it could be so magical or it could be, this is something that I did with you. I did it with other people. I did it with whatever. It's not unique to us. It's not something that's just ours. And it is the most, for, for a woman, for sure, it is the most meaningful connection that she could have with her, with her partner if it's done right. That's on an emotional level. There's obviously, there's a spiritual level where spiritually, like this is, this is what we believe is the right thing to do as a, as a, as a religious Jew, as a religious Orthodox Jew. This is what we believe is the right thing to do. It's tremendous Kedusha. It's, it's like the Kodesh Kodeshim. It's the Holy of the Holies when a husband and a wife are connected. On my Facebook, right? On my, on my YouTube, I usually don't address these things from my religious background. Like it's more about, because I'm, I'm trying to speak to anyone who wants to hear this, right? And a lot of people who aren't religious won't resonate with that message. So it's just interesting that you're asking this because I don't really get to talk a lot about that. Do you think it's healthy to share all of your past or do you think it's healthier to edit some of those details? It really depends. It depends on the relationship and it depends on who the person is. Like you really have to get a feel for things. 
definitely don't do that on the first few years. Yeah, don't. It creates jealousy, it creates confusion. Let's say your wife doesn't have a lot of tact and she'll start asking questions like, well, who did you enjoy more or stuff like that? And I'm just saying like you're opening the door, right? For like really uncomfortable conversations, which you don't want to, you don't want to have them. There's no point. Like right now your focus is let's build our relationship. Let's connect. Let's live a happy life together, right? Why, why the past is in the past, right? So if there comes a time and a point where your relationship is really, really strong, you know each other well, you know that this is a safe conversation to have, then you can have the conversation. Obviously, you're not going to talk about like the itty bitty details, which would make her feel like she was there or him feel like he was there with you. Like, you don't want that. Also, I'm curious about whether you've ever questioned being religious since you've become religious. I never questioned it from an intellectual level. I questioned it from an emotional level. Intellectually, I find it to be a very rational faith. I find it to be very rational and not just one of those things where it's like, I believe it, it makes sense to me that this is real. It makes sense to me that this is the truth. I believe that this world is passing, right? I'm here to perfect myself here and then to enjoy eternity. That's what I believe. So I don't want to, I don't want to give up on eternity. But why do you have to be religious to perfect yourself? It depends who you're speaking to. If you're speaking to a Jew, I would say, think of it this way. If you're a Jew, then your spiritual DNA needs to experience this way of living in order to perfect itself. And the engineer, right, God, um, is letting you know that this is, if you do this, this is a vitamin for your soul over here. And if you do this, this is a vitamin for your soul over here. This is, you know, this is what you need. And this is what will perfect you. Um, I also believe that if you're a Jew and you do this, it's the best chances that you have of living a satisfying, fulfilling life. Because in addition to, aside from act the actual you know, commandments that we need to follow, there's a lot of depth and guidance on how to feel fulfilled and how to live a balanced life. And, and then if you're not Jewish, then you don't need all those 300 and, uh, 613 commandments and all of that. You have a different spiritual DNA. You could choose to become Jewish if, Jewish if you want to, if you feel like if you feel like it, right? But if you don't want to, you don't need to, right? And you could maximize your potential by just following your commandments. And the way I'm looking at it is assuming that we agree that God actually did create us and he told us like, this is what you need and you believe that, then it wouldn't make sense for you to do otherwise. If I would have a conversation with someone like, prove to me that there's a God, I'd be like, I would never have the conversation. I'd be like, well, I've seen him answer my prayers. <laughs> That's my personal experience, right? That's for me. Right, but that's not something that I would, you know, try to like rationalize it with you. What made your parents choose it? They went to seminars, I think. My mother, I think, turned to my father and said, let's go hear, you know, the seminar on some Yiddishkeit. So my father said, okay, yeah, let's go hear some Narishkeit. Like, that was his response. Yeah. I had one more thought. I am a little bit curious about, you know, you grew up in Israel pretty much most of your life. What were your initial thoughts of coming to the U.S. and the culture? First time I was back, I was 14. I was really excited. I heard a lot about America as a child. I thought America was like this place out of a Dr. Seuss book, like like spiral streets in the air with magic, literally. <laughs> That's not really what I was thinking, right? But like the emotion was like, wow, America's gonna be great. I did end up, we, we went straight to Hollywood. So it was pretty magical. I'm not gonna lie. It did show me, okay, this is, there's land here. It's, it's a real place. The sun rises, the sun sets. And then I've been back and forth after that. So I ended up, just to answer the question that we started off with, 
I ended up becoming a coach because at one point I finally found that like, okay, this is what I want to do, right? I was telling you how like when I was married, I was able to start searching. I was able to start actually giving myself space, giving myself. And I felt like that would be something really, really meaningful to me. And I was always giving that advice to people, you know, like, and the more you experience yourself in life, like the more tuned you are to understanding people and getting people, you've just been there, right? You've been there and it's powerful. And I always wanted and like to believe that the things that I've been through were there to help me step into the role that I have to as a leader. I see myself growing and really just helping people really on a deep level, helping them through their fears, through their confusions, right? And, and, this, and this has a lot, by the way, in marriage, there's a lot of fears, a lot of limiting beliefs, a lot of personal growth that has to happen. Because I always tell people like, you want to know how to have a happy mar- marriage, go read one book, right? Look at a YouTube video, like find the techniques. But if you need, you want to grow, like you want to actually do it, Right. Then there's like, okay, what's holding you back? What fears are holding you back? Why aren't you having the conversations? Why are you holding it in? Right. Why are you so upset? How do you heal from that? How do you like all those things that go into it? There, like, there's like, there's a lot of deep work that goes into it. And it's, and it's exciting. It's exciting for me. And it's exciting for them when they have those aha moments. Are there good conversation starters? Like, are there prompts that you give people? There are very good conversation starters. I have cards that they're not mine. I bought them. They have like different levels, like getting to know each other, sharing, and then like building, like, like different categories of like, it just like asks like a bunch of different questions here. Let me just grab one and like, here, um, tell me about a time where you didn't feel loved or wanted. That's a deep conversation. Like you could have a really meaningful conversation with just one question. If you guys set time aside, zero distractions, dedicate time to have this conversation an hour, two hours, go on a date, go walk and talk, whatever it is, right? Get to know each other and find out, like really be curious about the person who you're with and find out how fascinating they are. If you are failing in the marriage, whether if it's your fault, it's not your fault, whatever it is, right? You don't feel good about yourself. You don't. And it really has an impact on you. And you're walking outside and you're holding hands and you're smiling because you don't want anyone to know. And you feel like a fraud, right? And so that's the message you're telling yourself. You come back home and you're like, I'm a fraud. Okay, so how can I go out and be ambitious and go after my dreams if I'm a fraud? And if the one person who I should be happy with, if I'm unable to do that, what am I going to be able to, right? And if the one person who knows me best doesn't like me, doesn't believe in me, right? All those things, like it has a really powerful impact on how we show up in and, and like, that's something that really needs to be talked about because you'll be so much happier, so much more fulfilled if you're doing the things that matter to you, if you're not thirsty for their validation. Were your parents good communicators? I wasn't home a lot. What would you want to know about your dad or what would you want to have a conversation with him about now? About my kids, my wife, mm. he never met them. I would want to show him my kids. That's really beautiful. Thank you so much for this time. Is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? What is one thing that you are most proud of about your daughter? That's sweet. I'd like to hear that. Thank you. Let people know how they can connect with you. You can follow me on Facebook. Send me a friend request. If you look normal, I'll, I'll accept it. I have a Facebook group. You could connect with me there. You could follow me on Instagram. You could follow me on YouTube. All the places. Cool. We need to connect all those places too, so that when I promote this, I can tag you in all of them. Nice. <laughs> Now, 
Let's switch it over to Grandpa. So he actually did ask a question. He wanted to know what you were most proud of about me. If you are headed in the right direction and you don't give up, even though sometimes you want to, but you push forwards. And the reason why I'm very proud of you is that you don't quit. You do keep going. Even though it can be frustrating at times, you persevere. And that fortitude is a very, very good trait that's passed down to you. And you do keep that as part of a continuum where we know that our future is safe with you. Thank you. I liked his question too, where he said, tell me a time that you didn't feel loved or connected to your spouse. Have you ever sat down and had a conversation like that with mom? You know, we have, you know, that at times when we we have faced very difficult times, that conversation would come up where do we really love each other? Is it where we just have gone in different directions? But the fact is, is that a marriage, again, is not something that is just within fine lines. It's something that expands and contracts on different issues all the time. And you have to keep thinking of the other party and trying to understand. And they have to try to understand uh, where you're coming from. And you have to be able to develop and learn and fight hard to keep a relationship going. Because there's so many pitfalls and so many adversities in life. It's easy to get tripped up, but those that stick it out and stick it out and stick it out and stick it out, all of a sudden, you've been able to then face a lot of these issues, and it's better to do it together and to do it as a family together if you can, because life is too short to miss. And then all of a sudden, you blink, and we're now married 42 years and know each other for 45 years, and the fact is is that we still have big ups and downs. But we've been able to live our lives together, facing things together. We've been rewarded with a tremendous family that we've built, where we have three generations that we're part of now as not only parents, but grandparents, and with the opportunity to see the future continue to unfold. And the future unfolds by being able to have a legacy. And it's not just passing down money. It's not just making people and throwing them into the wind or into the sea. It's really being able to see that some of your hopes and dreams can continue and your children and your children's children and your children's children have a chance to build on that. And that's how we have a chance to live forever. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Hold up. 